either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. So what's going on in your world? Anything new <laughs> in, in the world? What's going on up there? Everybody just going to the theater this weekend as normal? <laughs> Woo, I tell you, it's it's not normal. It's a new normal. But we're going to talk about the movies, darn it. And maybe this is the week we, we probably should start with the lobby because a lot of people are going to be looking to, <laughs> what can they watch when they stay in? That but might be the only thing we can talk about next week. It might be. Wow. Hey, we'll get through it. Thank you for checking out the screening room. Glad you're here. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we are from madwolf.com. And let's start out with one that we got a nasty comment because we gave it a positive review on TV. It's uh, 12 strangers waking up in a clearing. They don't know where they are or how they got there. They don't know they've been chosen for a very specific purpose, the hunt. What is happening? What is all of this? Did you see that article? Every year, these liberal elites kidnap a bunch of normal folks like us and hunt us for sport. The last I heard, free speech still exists. Don't First Amendment me. It wasn't real. Everybody get out of here! We were joking. There's been a killing spree. You gotta come here right now. You actually believed we were hunting human beings for sport. <laughs> but you are. And as we said this morning, this is a good movie with very bad or unfortunate timing. Yeah, right? bad luck dogs this one, man. Because uh, it was supposed to come out about a year ago, but because of a mass shooting, Universal shelved it, saying that, thinking that it was just too violent. And then about... A year later, now it's come out. And in the interim, Ready or Not made a big splash. Knives Out, all people loved. Every human being loves that movie. And then, of course, Parasite came out and uh, was just the most awarded film of 2019. And while none of those have a lot of gun violence, they all share something that this movie has in common, which is that it's very much a, a story about the haves versus the have-nots. Right. And I even remember hearing back when it was uh, being pulled for the, the violence reasons that it had the potential for political controversy as well. Sure. Because this is one of those movies that is perfectly set up like the person who gave us a nasty comment this morning, for people to get mad about before they've seen it. Yes. Well, you know, and the funny thing about it is that there are going to be scenes in this film that aggravate everybody, right? One or another. I mean, different scenes will aggravate different people because the film is so apt to skewer everybody's political beliefs. Because basically what the film is saying is that we're working against each other, yep. people. Yep. Let's stop it. Right. And the setup is... You may have heard you've got these rich liberal elites setting up a hunt of right wingers. Now, nobody's nobody they're hunting is actually wearing a MAGA hat, but you get the idea. They've been chosen by certain Facebook posts and social media posts. They've been picked out and and drugged and knocked out or whatever and brought here into this clearing and given a few weapons. And then the hunt is on. So, yes, that is what happens as the general setup, but so much more. It's a satire. It's very dark humor, very bloody humor. But you're absolutely right. Everybody gets skewered. Right. And, and I think it's a great device to flip it and put 
the liberals as the, the rich villains. Pe- yes, the rich villains, so proud of themselves. It, yeah. it sort of takes a theme of get out yes. about these rich liberals who think they're over it. You exactly. know, we're so tuned in, we're so woke, right. quote unquote, that we're the good guys. And in reality, what it's saying here is right. We're all fighting each other. And much like Parasite, yeah. the elite of the elites are happy when we're fighting right. each other, so, so we're not fighting them. Exactly. Wealthy people. Uh, benefit when people who aren't wealthy are busy tearing each other apart is one of the themes of this movie. But it's funny because I feel like the the person who commented today, and I think a lot of the people knee-jerk react to this film without seeing it, the oh, anger... people in America don't do that, do they? <laughs> the anger is the idea that it's it is right-wing people who are being hunted. But mm-hmm. what's a funny thing is that in horror films, the people being hunted, the victims, are invariably also the heroes. And... You know, because the villain is the villain, and right. you have to have a hero. So I think that that's an interesting thing. One of the wise choices that this film makes is to have the the group of people who I think films often vilify as the heroes of this movie. So I, I do think that a lot of the people who are knee-jerk against this film, they should watch it first, uh, you know? Um, but at the same time, it's not as if the movie is... It's not pro-right-wing. It's not pro-left-wing. Right. It's it's pro-let's-think-about-this. Right. It takes on just the, the atmosphere that we're all in today, fighting each other, co- convinced of our righteous indignation, yes. and that we're all so right in, <clears throat> in, in, in our beliefs and not willing to take in anyone else's. And it's also, if, if you want to break it down, and as as people have said, well, this is a film about people being hunted for their political beliefs. Well, yes, but... If you actually see the movie, it's more about the kind of situation that might lead that to actually happen in this fantasy. Yeah. The thing that is brewing underneath. And it's really well done. In in way, it's also... There are times when I got the, got the feeling that it's an exploitation type of movie. Oh, sure. Over the top. But it is. It's so smartly done and um, and executed. And it's got some surprises in store, especially in the cast. You're going to see some people that are being hunted, some names you may know, some faces that you know, but don't let that throw you as to thinking, well, that person's going to survive because I know them. Maybe not. It throws you some curveballs there, and also it lets, well, I guess we'll let one out of the bag, is about somebody who, who survives a long time anyway, uh, the character played by Betty Gilpin. Yes. Now, you may not know her name. You probably know her face. She's been in a lot of supporting roles. As you mentioned, she very often plays the hot, bitchy friend. Yes. Which she kind of did. She kind of did about half the time in Isn't It Romantic? Sure. That's the thing. None of her movies seem to make any money. I know. You know? Um, but she is always quite solid. And this is way different than oh anything my. you've seen her play before. Yeah. She is one of the hunted that the hunters grossly underestimate. Yes. yes, they really do. And she just talks like a rube, but she is smart and she is tough and they are in for a time. And she, this is the role of her career, and it's it's too bad, again... Not Nobody's going to see it! Exactly! I know, I'm so sad about that, because she really is wonderful, and one of the things that I think sells the character, because part of uh, when a film like this, or, you know, any action movie, where, like, one person, you're like, how are they going to manage all those things? It's, how well does the lead sell it? And she does through understatement. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's she, it's a very genuine performance. It's quiet, but quirky at the same time. And I always feel like... And tough and badass. Yes. But that's the thing. I always feel like when you watch these movies, 
and they're like quips, you know what I mean? And there's like flourish and flair. I don't buy that. Nobody would actually do that. If you were to survive something, you would just like, you would limit your movements, you would be quiet, you would think about it, you would, you know, oh, yeah. She's spend yeah. the least amount of energy getting it taken care of. Yeah, she, that is what she does. But she does have some fun, quirky moments. The lead villain is Hilary Swank, who is just always, of course, she's, yeah. she's got two Oscars. She's a very, very strong actor. And I think that they make a nice sparring, they make nice sparring partners. Mm-hmm. And Craig Zobel is the director of this film. We love him. Uh, he did Compliance, which we always really, uh, we talk about a lot uh, on our other podcast, our horror podcast, because it's a great movie. And he did Teen Girl Squad. Right. Uh, which was an online uh, cartoon, which is uh, one of our all-time Just favorites. Just a few weeks ago, you watched every episode again, back-to-back, with, with our, our nieces. nieces. Yeah. Yeah, and we he also and did all. a movie that you liked a lot that nobody saw, Z for Zachariah. Yes. So he's a director that we like, and he's got a great, smart, timely script from a pair of writers, Nick Coos and Damon Lindelof. And they have done some work. I know a lot of people loved um, the, Watchmen the Watchmen show. show the there leftovers. behind that, yeah, they've done uh, they've done some of that. And um, Damon, I know, has written. He's written things like uh, the leftovers yeah. for TV, yeah. Tomorrowland for, for the big trains, other things. Anyway, so they do a real interesting and very smart script that also has some fun as it gets a little, as we said, a little exploitative at times, but boy, I thought this this whole thing was a blast. But one of the things that you mention, you mention Get Out. I feel like Craig Zopel pr- proves with this that he has a little bit of Jordan Peele's ability to not only um, manipulate horror tropes, but also social anxieties. Mm-hmm. And I think that the one thing that this movie gets so exactly right is how seductive righteous indignation can be. And you know what? And that's the thing. Anytime you feel self-righteously indignant, ask yourself why. Mm -hmm. Because usually it's a situation has manipulated so that you will will behave in a way that is completely inappropriate. Like, I think that's the most useless of all emotions. Again, I I, I hope the timing, I know that the theaters are going to have a tough time in the next few weeks. I hope this finds an audience. I really do, because it's worth it. And especially, it's not going to deliver what you think. Now, maybe if you're listening to this, you have a better idea what it's going to deliver. But I certainly was surprised by yeah. it. I, it did not deliver what I was expecting. And it's a good way. And I will tell you there's no stinger at the end of the credits. But the credits are worth sitting for because <laughs> when you see the character names of some of these people, oh, yeah. who did, they are very funny. You get the names of some of them, but not all of them. And uh, hang around for the character names. But we really liked the hunt and recommend it. Get out there and you know keep a safe distance, but support your lo- <laughs> support your local theater. <laughs> Latest comic book movie is next. Ray Garrison, a slain soldier, is reanimated with superpowers. Bloodshot. What is this place? I'm sorry to be the one to tell you this, but you got yourself killed at RST. We'd rebuild the most important assets in the U.S. military. Soldiers like yourself. You're the first who we've successfully managed to bring back. But improved, enhanced. With the technology in your veins, you have an army inside you that will not only make you stronger, it will heal you instantly. Holy shit. Now tell me, do you remember anything? Where are you going? I've got unfinished business. I'm gonna find the man who murdered my wife and kill him. Is it Dr. Herbert West, George? <laughs> no, it's not that reanimator. It's Vin <laughs> Diesel. 
And this is, I think we've mentioned before, we're not comic book people, but I have found out in researching this, it's a extremely popular comic book series. I see. Extremely. So it's on the big screen now, and um, it is a super soldier that is killed and then brought back, reanimated, if you will, uh, by this lab, RST Industries, headed up by the brilliant Dr. Harding, played by Guy Pierce, And now that uh, he has been, Ray has been reanimated, he's, he's basically indestructible. Anything, any bullet, anything that, that comes to destroy him is instantly healed um, by this. He's got these things in his blood that uh, take care of it. So just go with it, right? <laughs> and then, of course, they're looking to use that those, these super soldiers, enhanced soldiers, for war and profit. And, but what Ray, once he gets these powers, all he's interested in is tracking down the person who killed his wife and then him in the beginning of the movie. He wants revenge. Well, but then you find out he's actually controlled by this huge computer mainframe, so his reality keeps changing. Our reality does as well. What's real, what's not, who's double-crossing, who's not, what are the real aims for this RST group and Dr. Harding? Hmm, what's going on? So if you know the comic book, you probably know a lot of this, and that's really the main audience for this movie. That's who will find it the most worthwhile. It's directed by Dave Wilson, who is his first big screen feature. He's done a lot of video games. If you look at his IMDb page, a lot of visual effects credits for video games. And he also worked on the visuals for Avengers Age of Ultron, I believe. Mm. So he's a visual effects guy. Yeah. Okay. And you can tell. That's what this movie looks like. It, mo- it looks like a video game drunk on a big budget. <laughs> that's not to say it looks bad. There are some that look really cool. Like at one point, he's getting his face shot off, and then, ooh, there's a piece of his face, and then they slowly get sucked back onto his face and healed. You know, all right, kind of cool. All, right. all that stuff is going on. But if you're looking for character development, no, well, no you're not going to find that. You're going to find a comic book on screen. And Well, to be fair... When was the last time you found character development development in a Vin Diesel film? <laughs> That's true. That's true, because his, what I like to call guttural emoting, is on autopilot here. It really is. He does, I guess, if you want to differentiate it from his Fast and Furious franchise, he, he does scream a little bit. He does raise his voice here. Mm-hmm. It's not that constant, you know, family type of thing. <laughs> uh, but... You're right. You're not going to get that. And there's so much of the, the the writing is done by the team of Jeff Wadlow and Eric Heiserer. And, you know, I will give him credit because the film does take a few moments to have some self-aware humor about it, like talking about movie cliches as they're serving them up. Okay, I'll I'll give you that. I feel like having Guy Pearce in this film is itself kind of a nod to the similarities between this film and Memento. Memento with all his, yeah, because he's working on memories, and then he gets different memories sort of implanted, so what's real? To benefit the baddies. Yeah, but what it really feels like is a cross between uh, the Terminator in that way that he's a Terminator and, Absolutely. You know, and the Matrix because it's all about computer mainframes and and that's a weakness for me because how exciting can a computer keyboard be? Not very. When you've got people back at base. Well, all... right now, if it's got like coronavirus on it and then... <laughs> that's, yeah. Yeah, but when you've got the people back at the headquarters and they're all furiously typing away and get this done, that just kind of stops the momentum. It does. You know, and it's hard to keep it sustained and... You'll see there, as a, again, I said, there's some good action sequences and some some definitely impressive 
visual pieces, but the characters, they're just, they're not real. They're, they're comic book yeah. uh, characters, what they are. And also, I feel bad for Ilya Gonzalez from... Um, Baby she, Driver. From Baby Driver, yes. John Hamm's girlfriend in Baby Driver. Right. She is the another enhanced soldier, and her superpowers seem to be limited to pouting, posing, and squeezing into the tightest wardrobe you may have ever seen. <laughs> so she's got that going for her. Uh-huh. And that's that's really what you can expect from this movie. Uh, all the depth of a, a piece of a comic book page. And uh, we've seen movies before that just hyper-serve their audience. The one that comes to mind is the, uh, the Downton Abbey. Yeah. Who's just like, this is who it's for. And... <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Yes, I'm drawing a. That's I'm, right. I'm drawing a comparison between Bloodshot and Downton Abbey because that's what we do. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? I do. That movie, they know their audience exactly. and they deliver what that audience is looking for. Right, and no apologies. And that's right. what I, I I respected that about Downton Abbey. I did because it wasn't for us. No, we hadn't seen it. No. We didn't care. And that's <laughs> or, right. Because no, And they true. didn't expect to get us up to speed. Right. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. And I think if this movie maybe should have gone maybe farther in that direction, because I don't think... If... More Downton Abbey. <laughs> that is what Bloodshot blood needed. Maybe they should all speak in those accents, maybe. <laughs> Let's have fun with it. Superpower accents. But, get Maggie uh, Smith in there. <laughs> but uh, if, if you are a fan of that, then yes, you're probably going to enjoy this. But um, if not, then I don't think there's going to be enough here to hold your interest. I really don't. Next up is the long-awaited follow-up to Beasts of the Southern Wild from Ben Zeitlin. Lost on a mysterious island where aging and time have come unglued, Wendy must fight to save her family, her freedom, and the joyous spirit of youth from the deadly peril of growing up. It's Wendy. Remember the voice in your head? The one that said, sneak away. Here is the place it came from. So began the legend of Peter, the boy who would not grow up. Want to fly? We can fly. Really fly? You can leave yourself behind. You won't even know when it happened. I was surprised that he hadn't made anything since Beasts of the Southern Wild. Yeah. Because that was so impressive. So impressive. Yeah, I, I... Really one of the best films of the decade. Oh, yes. And this one shares a lot in common with it. It, it looks the same. Not the same, but I mean, it, it has a very s- similar visual style. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it really has themes of childhood. Yeah, sort of a a rugged childhood Uh adventure. And it shares the same kind of... It's set among a community on the fringe. You know what I mean? I think it's also in the Louisiana area. Yes, it it definitely certainly looks like it if it isn't. Mm -hmm. We're introduced to characters in this really beautiful, mostly extreme close-ups at a diner alongside the railroad tracks, mm-hmm. you know, and it um, it really does a great job of of setting the tone uh, and kind of giving you a sense of the atmosphere of the film. And also, there is no end to the adorable little faces in this movie. Yeah, uh, and that's the sort of the camera movements that he has in this very free flowing. Very uh, talent, Terrence Malick sometimes. Very, very. With the hushed voiceovers. Very um, impressionistic yeah. types of sequences as the kids, one by one, they, they sort of 
wander off from the watchful eye of the woman, the, the one mom who's running the diner, mm-hmm. and they take off on the train yeah. that goes by, and they end up following a mysterious other, other child, Peter, who calls them to a new land. Yes. And uh, there's so much about the movie, especially visually, that is really, really appealing. I think, though, the film gets itself into some troubles once you get to this island, which is they never say it directly that it's Neverland, right. but that's the the assumption that you get. So, and I think part of it is that they've so they've changed the point of view character. It's no longer Peter Pan. The point of view character is now Wendy, and of course, in in the novel, Wendy represents the mother figure mm-hmm. and all the Lost Boys. Maybe they're having fun in Never Neverland, but they recognize in Wendy what they miss from being home and being safe. They miss this mother character. I loved the idea that Wendy got to be a Lost Boy. Mm-hmm. I love the idea that the that the main female character doesn't have to be the representation of safety. She got to be a wild Agreed. one, right? Agree. But then they can't figure out what they're doing. Right. Like, what is her purpose? How is she different? Why is she the lead character? I have no idea. Re- I truly, I don't have any idea. Yeah, it really seems to meander. Once once it gets there, it does meander. Once you figure out, if you went in blind and didn't know this was a Peter Pan adaptation, once it gets there and they start following Peter and you start realizing that nobody grows up and they, they dread growing up, they want to keep to the fact that they don't grow up uh, because you meet a character that did. And it does, it's, it starts to meander and what are we doing with this? And then if you're thinking about some other parts of Peter Pan, how they deal with how they deal with characters like Tinkerbell, yep. that was a, a little bit. I'm thinking of the word problematic. I'm not sure it is. It's it's interesting how they deal with Tinkerbell and and bring that in. But again, I'm not sure how well it works. They they do they replace sort of the character of Tinkerbell with a different character that you need to try to keep alive. And in doing that, they create for the film an ecological underpinning. Mm-hmm. But the film is so, in a lot of ways, Malick-esque, is that you've got all of these beautiful images that are held loosely together by this hushed voiceover. Really, the, the dialogue doesn't drive much of anything. The narrative doesn't isn't really there. The whole thing is very impressionistic. Mm-hmm. But he's throwing too many different themes at you. Um, I think that, I mean, in the end, it's, it's a beautifully filmed, jumbled mess. <laughs> yeah. That I guess at the anchor of it is just don't lose the magic of childhood. And I will say for me, because it was it was losing me uh, in the yeah. the second act for a good bit. It rallied. I thought it was a very sweet finale. Yeah, it really was very sweetly done. Okay, a little sentimental, yes. Oh, that's okay. But yeah. I yeah guilty because I was I was in for it, and it, it did redeem it. it. It got itself together at the finish line for me. Uh, they do bring a Captain Hook character in yeah. there in in a bit of a different way. And that plays into the finale, but uh, yeah, it, it it starts off well, then it, it meanders and kind of stubs its toes a little bit, yeah. uh, and you wonder what's what and why, right. but it, it, it rallied at the end, I thought. I feel like, for me, the biggest problem, in fact, was the voiceover, because it is in the voice of, of Wendy, right. um, And but the, the, the lines are much too um, full of regret. World-weary, yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, they would be the lines of an adult looking back on exactly. the lost magic of childhood, not on a child. A child doesn't have the distance 
there'd be no reason for a child to feel that sort of longing and regret and dread and nostalgia. So that felt very forced in a way that the rest of the film didn't. Yeah, so he's obviously, Zeitlin's a, a very talented filmmaker. We know that. This one is just, I think, an ambitious, maybe maybe overreach yeah. a little bit. I yeah. mean, you'll find some things of worthwhile, some things worthwhile in it for sure. But uh, and so it might be worth checking out. And that's Wendy. And the other national release this week is the true life story of Christian music star Jeremy Camp and his journey of love and loss that looks to prove there is always hope. There's always hope here. That's right. And this is I Still Believe. My name is Jeremy Camp. I want to introduce you guys to someone special tonight. This is my fiance, Melissa. Go ahead and stand up, babe. <laughs> Come on, stand up. I know, I'm taking, I'm sorry. Earlier this year, we had some tough news. Some really tough news. Can we do something special for the most special person in my life tonight? Can we pray for her? Heal her tonight. Now, the written review for this is up on MadWolf.com now. This is written by Kat McAlpine. Yes. She covered this for us. And it's the latest in, it was uh, from the filmmakers behind I Can Only Imagine, so it's another uh, of the faith-based movies. Mm-hmm. And you, you start to feel, because we've reviewed a lot of these, and a lot of times they're not very good movies, and you start to feel like you're feeding a narrative that we're against Christian-based movies, which is certainly not true. It's just that so often they... Almost, they take their audience such for granted, the fact that they're going to be there simply because this is a Christian-based movie, that they don't put enough work into being a good film. So here's what I think. lazy filmmaking. Here's what I think it is. Um, They have dual purposes for their film. And the, the main purpose, right, is to be inspiring in a very specific way, which means that they don't take risks artistically. So they don't put out a good product artistically, but, again, they're probably appealing in the same way that Bloodshot is. They are appealing <laughs> to a very specific audience. Yeah. You know, all of the characters are completely superficial. All of the behavior is completely superficial mm-hmm. and unnatural. Um, nobody has a backstory. There is nothing that clutters up the narrative in the way life gets cluttered up and mm-hmm. in the way well-written stories get cluttered up. There's no, There are no complications. It's a very straightforward... And the thing is, it is based on a true story, so you know there were complications because it was real life. And it's unfortunate that, that, that the idea that this very important story had to be so sanitized to make it to the screen. Yeah. And that's what drives the very often negative reaction from from film critics about these types of movies. Because just for for what we're saying here, they're they're foregoing what makes a good story told well with just for the agenda that they're going for and to and to really narrowly focus on on a certain type of audience. But. If it keeps paying off for them, I don't think we're going to see a lot of change. Right. Although there are some, I think, tried a little harder. We saw it just last year in Breakthrough. That was one, a true story, an yep. inspirational true story, yep. faith-based, that tried to to move it in the direction of really good storytelling. It wasn't great, but it was better. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it is possible, but this is one that just sticks to the basics, the, the very lowest common denominator of this type of storytelling. Right. And again, if you want to check out the full Review from Kat McAlpine. That's at MadWolf.com.
And we've got three in limited release. First up is the story of Hunter, a newly pregnant housewife, finds herself increasingly compelled to consume dangerous objects. It's called Swallow. So what did you do for money before you met my son? Retail, mostly. A lucky break. I'm just real grateful. How does it make you feel when you swallow something? Just like the textures in my mouth. Textures in my mouth. It made me feel in control. In control. I just wanted to make you happy. You get back here with my kid. I did something unexpected today. We got a chance to see this movie way back in October because it had its premiere at Nightmares Film Festival here in Columbus, Ohio, Mm -hmm. and loved it and couldn't wait. Been waiting, yeah, been waiting a while. I could not wait for this to get a release so that people could see it because it is so impressive. Yeah, and it's led by, not only is the main uh, performance a great one by Haley Bennett, she's also a producer, and she was, if from what I've read, really instrumental in getting the rights and getting this to the screen. So she is a major part. Her performance is great. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, and it's it really it's such an interesting movie because you think of that that premise. Okay, she's she's eating dangerous objects. Mm-hmm. Like I think the movie poster has her eating a thumbtack. Yes. Yeah, there's a lot of things. But it works on so many levels oh, and it yeah. reminds us, I know you you put in your written review First of all, it's going to remind you, if you've seen the movie Safe, Todd Haynes, yes. uh, which starred um, Julianne, Julianne Moore. Moore. Yeah, it's it play, preys on these social anxieties and gender anxieties. Mm-hmm. And it gets, for me, it got really Hitchcockian at times. Yes. Oh, I absolutely believe or agree with that. It also looks perfect um, in a way that a lot of Todd Haynes films do. I mean, they have captured an aesthetic that plays into the overall themes so well. Her costumes are perfect. Yeah. The family, everything about it and what she's doing. And part of it is that she's playing a part and really hoping that she's fitting this part. And so when this anxiety with the pregnancy happens, that's when things start to fall apart. It is such a slyly built movie and such an outstanding central performance. Yeah, and the writer-director is Carlo Mirabella Davis. And this is another smartly put-together film yeah. as as not only as a story, but as social commentary. Yes. And it reminded me, you talk about Hitchcock specifically, it reminded me of Marnie. Oh. If you remember, because remember Tippi Hedren, mm-hmm. she had psych- psychological problems, and her problem in that movie was the shoplifting. Yeah. Um, so just kind of substitute that, and it's a it's a way to look at the the concept of quote gender hysterics, mm-hmm. but in a different way, in a feminist way, in from a, a feminist, feminist perspective, way and an updated decades later way. Yeah. Uh, that I thought was quite interesting. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. And I think that they tackle so many issues so well in this movie that have to do with gender politics, control, control of your own body, control of your life. Uh, there are so many things at play here and in a way that never feels like dogmatic, that never feels preachy, and that looks just glorious. And yeah. it's an uncomfortable film to watch. Yeah, and also it finds a way, because one of the things that we're, we're often critical of films uh, that, that do this, 
put things, make things too obvious yeah. that are right in your face. This one is sly enough to make it seem like they're being yes. too obvious, but they're not. Right. And I love that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there was there and, and there are a handful of small, small roles in here. Each one, I think, was just really well performed. Agreed. You've got Austin Stoll plays uh, her husband. Yeah. Then you've got the, the parents, his parents, David Raish. You, you remember from back in the day, he was Sledgehammer on yeah. TV. Used to love that show. <laughs> and uh, and Elizabeth Marvel. They are great as her husband's parents because they're so condescending to her in such a oh bless your heart way. Yeah. Because she wasn't up to their social standards before. She married him. Right. Uh, she was a just a, a retail worker, retail clerk or whatever. And so she's always saying, I just feel so lucky. Yeah. I feel so thankful to have this life. Yep. And that is part of what fuels her, her acting out later. Yes. And then there's a later... Uh, just one scene with Dennis O'Hare that really changes the trajectory of, it, it tra- trajectory yeah. of the entire film. And he does a magnificent job. And and I like him in most things. Mm-hmm. But he is he's great in this movie. And his chemistry with her. Again, I, I just can't say enough about Haley Bennett's performance in this yeah. movie. She is great. And I still, sometimes when I've, I've seen her progress, I remember, I think it was her debut. I'm almost positive it was debu- uh, her debut years ago when she played the quote-unquote Britney Spears character in that music and lyrics. Remember that with Hugh Grant? Yes! She was the pop star. Oh, my God. Yes! She was the pop star, and she's just grown slowly uh, over time, Mm -hmm. and now this, yes, this is such a great performance. And, as we said, she's a producer, too. So uh, this was definitely, definitely worth checking out. Very provocative and and very smart and uh, with a good social consciousness and worth checking out Swallow. Foreign film is next up, The Real Life of Tommaso Busetta. The so-called boss of two worlds, the first mafia informant in Sicily in the 1980s, the traitor. This is from director and co-writer Marco Bellaccio, and it's sort of a, you can look at it as maybe an Italian bookend to The Irishman, except it's not Three and a half hours. It's only two and a half hours. <laughs> it's only two and a half hours. <laughs> but it's it's very similar, in fact, that it's taking a, a true life tale, mm-hmm. a, a real guy, and looking back on his life in the mafia. This is a guy who, who did turn informant uh, and led to the convictions of many, many members of the Sicilian mafia. And he was one of, if not the first, to do it, to turn informant. So it's led by, as the Don, as the boss of two worlds, and a great performance by, I love this guy's name, Pier Francesco Favino. That's a great name. That's a great name. And he's really good. Uh, as, as you see this guy's journey from poverty-stricken, one of, 17, one of 18 children. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, and found his way out through the mafia, and then he rose up and really embraced the, the honor of the mafia. And that's the main theme of this, because in a contrast to The Irishman, when De Niro's Frank Sheeran is looking back with, let's not call it defiance, he's really looking back on what he hath wrought throughout his his life. This guy is looking back with defiance. Mm -hmm. He is so in the right, because he feels he has, he is honorable enough to call out the less honorable to those who broke the codes of the mafia before he did. And he is standing up, even though it drove him, the things of losing his family members and losing his allies drove him to the depths of despair before he decided to spill his guts. And after that, he was he was just defiant. And the film 
is interesting for about two-thirds of it. What The problem is when it gets bogged down in the minutia of the courtroom. Right. That's when the just the momentum and the, the pacing just grinds to a halt. Now, for American audiences, including me, I found it interesting from the from the angle of looking at the different ways the Italians, at least then, did trials. Right. Th- those are interesting to say, oh, wow, that's how they do it? And I-, I don't know if they still do or whatever, but there were some differences there that are intriguing. But after that, boy, it spends a lot of time on the details of the, the courtroom. And that really, for me, kept it from getting under the soul of this character, like I think the Irishman did. Well, and especially for a film that's already two and a half hours long. I mean, it's easy to think to yourself, we could be done by now. <laughs> yeah, it really, because it started off strong. It really did. I, I thought some of the, the early stylistic violence and the early pacing was really good. And then it, the courtroom stuff just really grinds it to a halt. But it's still worth checking out, especially for the lead performance. Say it one more time, Pierre Francesco Favino. Love that. And that's the traitor. And finally, we've got the story of Rose, a mostly sweet and lonely Irish driving instructor using her supernatural talents to save the daughter of mostly sweet and lonely Martin from a washed-up rock star who is using her and a satanic pact to reignite his fame. How many times have we seen this same old story? (laughs) It's called Extraordinary. Oh, Jesus, Mary and Joseph. Martin, she's floating. She's floating, Martin. No. What is evil? The blood moon is nigh! This bloody moon better make me bloody rich. Yes. This is a satanic ritual. Satanists! I woke up in the morning. To break the spell, we need ectoplasm. You just have to let the ghost inhabit your body. Like in Ghostbusters. Oh, I haven't read that. The plot thickens. Why does it so unnecessarily gross. That magic. Well, this is a charmer. It's called a supernatural comedy. And, you know, you can tell just from the synopsis, there is so much going on, but none of that is really the point. The point is Maeve Higgins, who plays Rose, the driving instructor. She's just, she's a, an Irish stand-up comic. She's hilarious. She's just a joy to be around. <laughs> and every, and you know, and all of the small characters, her sister, who's pregnant, but we don't really know why that is or where that's, what's going, she's still dating. Martin, Martin Martin is his name, <laughs> who is, he's got, he's haunted by the ghost of his somewhat abusive late wife. Uh, and there's so much going on on this movie and then Will Forte plays the sort of meatloaf kind of you know like <laughs> bombastic that. rock right. star oh yeah. and he's hilarious and and so you just have this weird mishmash of these characters and the point is not the plot. The point is how funny and goofy they all are and they yeah. interact with each other. And it's just it's just a funny, charming movie. Yeah, I think the humor sometimes a little bit bordered on the Taika Waititi type. <laughs> Maybe a little bit. <laughs> Does that mean you didn't think it was very funny? No, no, I'm just saying for people that are fans of that yes. might find something very similar in this. So yeah. that one's worth... Ryan and silly. Exactly. So if it's in your area, worth checking out. Extraordinary. And let's go to the lobby. Looking good this week. Big week! Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Boy, led by three Oscar nominees debuting this week at Home Video. Little Women, loved it. One of the best. We've talked about it. Watch it, watch it, watch it. Watch it, watch it. it. And what a great week for some good movies, because everybody's staying home anyway. So watch (laughs) Little Women. Uncut Gems as well is out on DVD. Again, another one of the best of the year. I I thought it was really sorely ignored. 
uh, at least in the Oscar nominations. Oh, absolutely. Um, no Adam question. Sandler is great. Latest by the Safdie brothers. Man, you might need a Xanax by the time it's <laughs> over, but it's worth it. Also, Bombshell. Yeah. Very solid. Not one of the very best of the year, but very solid. Yeah, and great some, performances. Some great performances. A family movie animated Spies in Disguise. We liked it. Yeah. It, it made zero dollars. Yeah. But was, we liked it. It was fine. It was fine. Will Smith and Tom Holland. And uh, one of them gets turned into a pigeon. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, it was totally fine. And the same with Charlie's Angels. I know it got pummeled, and it made zero dollars. Oh, yeah. I thought it was all right. I really did. I thought it was unjustly maligned. Elizabeth Banks, really the, the, the writer and the director, and I thought she had a fresh take on it. She really did. And I still think it's it's worth checking out, especially now that it's making the rounds at home video. That's right. If you didn't want to get out to the theater to see it. I thought it, was, it wasn't great, but it was just fine. Looking ahead to next week, might be crickets. <laughs> That's right. We may spend all of next week in the lobby, George. <laughs> That's right, we might. Right now, we've got one on the uh, radar called St. Francis. Which I really enjoyed. So, we may be talking about that, but you're right. We, we uh, really might put the lobby right up front next week. So, until then, let us know how you're doing. Let us know what you're seeing. What do you think? Easiest way to keep the conversation going is on Twitter. You can find us at MadWolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also, uh, Facebook and Instagram, that's MadWolfColumbus. And the main website where you can find all of our written reviews and our other horror movie-only uh, podcast called Fright Club. That's all right there at MadWolf.com. So, thank you so much for uh, stopping by. And wherever it is you happen to be listening, if you would do us a favor and subscribe, rate, and review, we would appreciate it. That's right. Wash those hands, stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll talk to you next week. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>